Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The Volume. It's Hoops Tonight presented by FanDuel. The NBA season is kicking into gear and there's no better place to get in on the action than with FanDuel. The app is safe and secure. Getting your money out is super easy. You can jump into the action at any time during the game with live betting. And I love building those same game parlays. And FanDuel is now live in Ohio, so use promo code JasonT and download the FanDuel app today to start making every moment more. 21 plus in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Virginia, and Ohio. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXTSTEP to 53342 in Arizona. Call one 888 789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. Call 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. Call 1-877-770-STOP in LA. Visit www.mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Dial one 877 Hope and Y or text Hope and Y to 467369 in New York. Call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming or visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight, presented by FanDuel here at The Volume. Happy Monday, everybody. I hope all of you guys had an incredible weekend. My wife and I spent the weekend moving. We are veterans of the moving game. We've done it nine times since her and I met back in 2014, including across the country twice. Uh, What's funny is no matter how many times I do it, it literally never gets any easier. It's a complete and total pain in the ass every single time. 
but there's a light at the end of the tunnel on Friday. We're going on our first ski trip of the season. Skiing is my second favorite thing to do in the world behind basketball. So I'm very excited for this time of year. Finally going to get the skis on snow for the first time this weekend. We are halfway through the NBA season. Most teams have played around 40, 41 games. Um, I love doing the game breakdowns. I love that cadence that we normally have during the week, but we're going to take a break from that this week. We will do an instant reaction video on Thursday night when Boston plays Brooklyn. At least that's the plan as of right now. We'll see when we get closer because I know the Kevin Durant injury is a little bit of a factor there. Uh, but the rest of this week, we're going to be focused on midseason, kind of like zooming out and taking a look at the league. So today we're going to do all NBA teams. Tomorrow we're going to do the other awards. So like MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, Rookie of the Year, Most Improved, things along those lines. Wednesday, we're going to do a look at just how I would rank the contenders at this point in the season, kind of like a power ranking slash putting the teams into tiers based on the new information we have now that we have a half season's worth of games under our belt. And then later this weekend, I'll have it recorded before I go out of town, but later this weekend, we're going to have a video where we go over the five biggest questions going into the second half of the season. So this is a good week to zoom out and get a feel for what's going on throughout one half of the NBA season. You guys know the drill before we get started. Subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our videos. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT so you guys don't miss any show announcements. And then last but not least, if for whatever reason you guys miss one of these videos and you can't get back over to YouTube to finish, you can find them wherever you get your podcasts under hoops tonight. All right, so here's how I'm going to do this. I'm going to go from the first team to the third team. And then at the end, I'm going to list for you guys the guys that I considered for the teams that didn't actually make it. And there are three specific picks that I viewed to be very difficult decisions, and we'll do a little bit deeper dives when we get to those specific players. So the way I organized it, because I thought we had three really solid center prospects this year in terms of options for the All-NBA team. Typically, the All-NBA team gets convoluted because we have forwards that clearly play guard. Like, for instance, Luka's kind of a forward, but... For all intents and purposes, he's an NBA guard. They usually um, are are functionally using him the way that any other team would use a point guard. So I'm going to consider him a guard. But we're not going to put any forwards in the center position because I think we have three legit centers that are clearly playing like top 15 players in the league this year, and they deserve consideration at that center spot. So we're not going to do any janky stuff with the centers um, in this particular list. So it's going to be guard, guard, forward, forward, center for all three teams. Uniquely this season, I think that makes sense. So first team at guard, I have Luka Doncic. This year he's averaging 34-9-9 on 61% true shooting. Having a bad defensive season, but his offensive workload is so huge that, you know, honestly, it's hard to expect him to devote any resources there. And then honestly, like, They need him to play that style for this team to have any chance to win. And what's crazy is there's like a tone and tenor surrounding the Mavericks and Luka this year that's kind of negative. Like they're 23 and 18, which is actually pretty solid. But we talk about them like they're a team that hovers around 500. We're critical of Luka because we don't like the way he is in a heliocentric style. Not me, but a lot of people around the league have been critical of his play style this season. I tend to think that it's literally their best chance to win games because of the way the roster is put together. And I also strongly believe that Luka would cater his game to acquiesce to another star should that situation ever arise. And really, when you look close, guys, the Mavericks are 23-14 and when Luka plays because they're 0-4 when he doesn't play. 23-14 and in this NBA with all the talent there is around the league, with the talent limitations that that Mavericks roster has, that's truly remarkable stuff from Luka. This year he's shooting 38% on 795 
pull-up jumpers because he's taken so many jumpers in that short to mid-range. He's also up to uh, up over 1.05 points per possession on post-ups, isos, and pick-and-rolls. He is a one-man offense. It's not pretty. It can be stagnant. It can be ugly sometimes, but it's damned effective. And in a stacked NBA, they are strongly over 500 when he plays. Clear-cut first-team All-NBA guy to me. All right, second guard on the first team, I put Donovan Mitchell. Averaging 29-4-5 on 63% true shooting, 45% on dribble jumpers. That's the large part of what's working with that offense. And it's something that is perfectly complementary to what Cleveland does because they have Jared Allen and Evan Mobley in the front court. Evan Mobley's still not a consistent shooter, so they don't really have a ton of spacing. So it's steady pick and roll, and they desperately need somebody that can knock down pull-up jumpers at a high rate. That's what Donovan Mitchell gives them, particularly from three which is something like it's 45%, but from an effective field goal percentage, it's drastically higher than that because of how good he is at pull-up three-point shots. And so that that complimentary fit has actually made him a legit MVP candidate this year. The Cavs are 24-12 and 12 when he plays, and they're thriving on offense despite that lack of spacing. And he's not a great defensive player, but he has enough physical tools as an athlete to help with contested rebounds or to in easier defensive responsibilities like on-ball responsibilities. He can do enough to at least not be detrimental to a great extent to that defense. Um, he's been an outstanding offensive engine all season. They're averaging 1.13 points per possession out of Donovan Mitchell pick and rolls, including passes, and 1.06 points per possession in ISO. Clear-cut first-team All-NBA guard. Obviously, in a perfect world, you put another guard, uh, another forward up there. Like, if we're being janky and I can do three guards on the second team and three forwards on the first team, then I'd move Jason Tatum up. But if we're sticking true to uh, positions, you got to go with Donovan Mitchell there at guard. All right, the first team All NBA forwards. At, uh, first, I have Kevin Durant, thirty points, seven rebounds, five assists, sixty-seven percent true shooting, uh, driven by an astonishing fifty-five percent on pull-up jump shots. You know that is, you know, pull-up jump shooting is the most difficult shot in basketball. Um, it's the shot that all defenses force you to take because they want to take away the easier shots, right? Driving kicks to easy three-point shots, shots at the rim, easier, you know, uh, um, catch-and-shoot opportunities. They're trying to avoid that as much as possible. So the coverage is dictated towards allowing pull-up jump shots to take away that, those other things away. That's the trade-off. And so when you have a guy that can be knocked down in those, in, in those specific shooting situations, it's immensely valuable in the NBA. What's crazy with Kevin Durant is he's hitting those at an efficiency that literally doesn't make any sense. He's hitting them more efficiently than a lot of guards do at the rim. He's shooting 55% this year on pull-up jump shots. And then we're going to talk about this uh, talk about this a lot more when we get to Kyrie, but that's specifically ultra-valuable to Brooklyn because they have to play a couple of non-shooters often. Like, they're playing Ben Simmons and Nick Claxton both just under 30 minutes a game. So there's a lot of overlap when those guys are on the court together. And if you're going to thrive with two non-shooters on the court or one non-shooter at the court at all times, you're going to need guys that can comfortably shoot over the top of defense. And Kevin Durant is the best in the world at hitting those jump shots uh, off the dribble over defensive players. He's also going to make an all-defense team this year. I watched a lot of film this morning on, on Brooklyn's defense because I, I, you know, I'm, I'm so intrigued by how they've been so dominant after such a bad start to the season. And it really comes down to this. A ton of switching, but not in an unnecessary way. Like when teams set ghost screens or sloppy screens, they'll stay home. They'll chase over the top. 
um, when they get a switch onto a guard in the post, they always pre-help with shell drills. So like, let's say for instance, that Kyrie Irving switches out to a player on the perimeter and they immediately walk him down to the post. Nick Claxton's probably going to be guarding a player on the weak side of the floor. He will be in help side almost directly under the rim. Then as the post entry is happening, he'll run and guard the post player. And as the post entry is happening, Kyrie will sprint out to guard Nick Claxton's guy. So it's a really smart switching scheme that doesn't switch when they have to, saves their switched defenders out of post mismatches that they don't like. And a huge heavy part of what makes this all work is when they stagnate teams and force them to ISO, they don't want to ISO Kevin Durant because he's so long. They don't want to ISO Nick Claxton. Sometimes they do, but he does pretty well on the perimeter. So those guys are in help all the time. And Kevin Durant in particular has done an outstanding job helping at the rim with his length and athleticism. He will make an all-defense team this year if he stays healthy. Obviously, he's been uh, ruled out with this MCL sprain, but uh, the intel this morning was that it's not very severe, and they're expecting him back in less than a month. So it should not impact his defense, uh, uh, his all-defense voting. It should not impact his MVP voting all that much. He's also been the best pick and roll ball handler in the league this year. And in my opinion, if the season stopped today and we were just focused on the basketball that was played by the basketball players in this season, not counting the playoffs, he's been the best player that I've seen on both ends of the floor this year in terms of total impact on winning. The other first team forward I have is Giannis Antetokounmpo. This was my first really tough call of these all NBA teams. It was either him or Jason Tatum. Um, And again, as I said earlier, if we're fudging the positions, then I'd put Tatum in over Mitchell and I'd go with three guards on the second team. But at that forward position, I had to choose between Giannis and Tatum. And there's some weird metrics with Giannis that don't look good. Like, for instance, the Bucs have only a plus 3.2 net rating. Uh, So they're outscoring teams by only 3.2 points per 100 possessions when Giannis is on the floor this year. That's not very good compared to a lot of the other best players in the league, um, especially the ones that are on good teams. Um, below 60% true shooting for the first time since 2018. That's really weird for Giannis. He's just 84 for 313 outside of the restricted area, which is just 26.8%. So even though he's having an otherworldly season at the rim, everything away from the rim, he's missing basically three out of four times, which is kind of problematic at this point. Uh, But I keep coming back to the supporting cast. Like with Drew Holiday missing as much time as he's missed, with Chris Middleton missing it, basically being entirely unavailable this entire season. As a result, the this team is extremely weak in spot-up shooting. The Bucks score less than one point per possession on spot-up possessions, which is 22nd in the NBA. So teams are really loading up on Giannis. So he's having to take more perimeter jump shots than ever. His individual defender has more leeway to press up into his airspace, which makes those into tougher shots. It's just an extremely high degree of difficulty for Giannis. And in spite of all of that, he's still producing at an extremely high level. And the Bucs are only 2.5 games back of Boston. So Giannis has had a better, I think he's a better player overall. He has that championship resume that adds legitimacy. He's working with less talent because I think Boston has the best roster in the league. And yet the Bucs are just two and a half games back of the Celtics. So I ended up giving the nod to Giannis for that first team forward. But like I said, Jason Tatum has been one of the five best players in the league this year, and he would have that guard spot if we were fudging the positions. Um, At center, Nikola Jokic, legit MVP candidate for the third year in a row, 25, 11, and 10 on 69% true shooting. The Nuggets are 25 and 11 when he plays. He's only missed three games, so he's been very available. And the Nuggets are 26 points 
per 100 possessions better when Jokic is on the floor versus when he's off. And the big thing with Jokic, and you know, Jokic is one of the most polarizing players in the NBA. Like, I feel like I'm pretty in the middle. There's a lot of people that think he's worse than I think he is, and there's a lot of people who think he's better than I think he is. There's kind of a pretty heavy, Jokic is the best player in the world crowd, and then there's a pretty heavy, like, Jokic is such a bad defensive player that he's actually, you know, nowhere near the, the level of the top players in the league. There's those kinds of guys that are uh, uh, that are on the other side of the spectrum. I'm pretty much in the middle. I think he's, you know, top five or six player in the league. I think he's probably the best offensive player in the league, if not in that conversation with Steph. And then defensively, I don't think he's very good, and I think he can be targeted. I think that's a differentiator, but I do think that that gets overplayed when people are ranking him compared to some of his peers around the league. And I think the reason why he's so polarizing is how easy he makes the game look. We've talked about this a lot on the show, but Nikola Jokic is constantly targeting the easy opportunities that present themselves on the basketball court. And he's not a guy that will put up six or seven highlight-level shots to rescue possessions over the course of a game. He does have rescue possessions. He can hit nifty one-leg fadeaways or crazy high-difficulty hook shots over great defense. He can do that stuff, and he doesn't get enough credit for that stuff that he deserves more credit. But overall, he does have a very easy and simplistic approach to the game, which I think is smart, and it's what makes him so damned effective. And that kind of thing, I think, goes over a lot of basketball fans' heads. And so as a result, I don't think he gets the appropriate credit that he deserves, but he clearly is the first-team All-NBA center through half the season. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Does the craziness of everyday life leave you feeling stressed and shedding? Since having kids, have you started to see a little more of your scalp? Are you unhappy with your hairline? When it comes to thinning hair, there are many root causes at play, and Nutrafol addresses them through a multi-targeted, whole-body approach. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist-recommended hair growth supplement, with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, and faster-growing hair with less shedding. Physician-formulated with drug-free ingredients, Nutrafol supports healthy hair growth from within by targeting key root causes of thinning, stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, lifestyle, and metabolism through whole-body health. Take their hair wellness quiz at Nutrafol.com for a personalized hair health plan based on your specific root causes. With Nutrafol, building a hair growth routine is simple. Purchase online, no prescription, or doctor's visits required. Free shipping and automated deliveries ensure you'll never miss a day and you'll see results in three to six months. Take the first step to visibly thicker and healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription. And free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code Hoops. That's H-O-O-P-S. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and stylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code Hoops, H-O-O-P-S. That's Nutrafol.com, promo code Hoops. Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home services marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, 
Come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled professionals to get the job done well. Something I've always been a big believer in. When you try to take projects on yourself, you usually don't know what you're doing. You usually end up making mistakes, and it can be a big headache. And so not only can a professional from Angie get the job done more efficiently, but they also are people that you can support within your community as local businesses. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job is done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects easy. Consider Angie your hub for all your home improvement needs. They can help you find the best price for your project by comparing quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. Angie has cost guides that will tell you what others have paid for similar projects, both nationally and in your area. And the app is free and easy to use. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. All right, moving on to the second team. Guard Steph Curry. I think he's been the second best player that I've seen this year overall. If you if you just took the minutes that they've played during this season, Kevin Durant's been the best player I've seen this year. Steph Curry has been the second best player that I've seen this year. He probably would be first team All-NBA right now if it wasn't for the injury in that Donovan Mitchell spot. He is having a bit of a down defensive season. He's had some bad defensive games in a way that uh, I think Kevin Durant's been better on that end of the floor this year. And obviously he just has the physical tools to have more impact there. So that was why I'm giving KD the nod in terms of who's the best player I've seen this year. Uh, but Steph is having an all-time great offensive season. 30 points, 7 rebounds, 7 assists, 67% true shooting, which is just amazing. He's the second best pick-and-roll ball handler in the league to run at least 200 behind Kevin Durant. And the Warriors offense scores 121 points per 100 possessions when he's on the floor, just 108 when he's off the floor. So still one of the best offensive engines in the NBA. All right, so the second guard for the second team. For All-NBA, this was my second really tough call. I had to choose between Kyrie Irving or Shea Gilgis-Alexander. I went with Kyrie Irving, but I want to explain because I do think SGA right now is a better basketball player overall. However, Kyrie, I think, is providing more winning impact, more value to his team right now. Like we talked about earlier, the Nets are playing Nick Claxton and Ben Simmons, big minutes. They're both playing almost 30 minutes a game. They've been on the floor together this season for 754 possessions, and the Nets are plus four net in those possessions, four points positive per 100 possessions. That's really solid when you factor in severe spacing concerns with those types of lineups. At any given moment, they either have two or one of those guys on the floor that teams are able to help off of, right? And so this team is not a good spacing team. They do have a lot of shooting on the perimeter, but interior-wise, there's always help defenders around the rim. So having guys that can consistently rise up and hit pull-up jump shots over the top of defense is vitally important. That also gives them the flexibility to play like a defensive-minded guard, like Edmund Sumner, even though he can't shoot. You can put him out there for, you know, whatever it is, 17, 20 minutes a night because of all the pull-up shooting you have with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Th- that whole roster construct fundamentally works with Kyrie, in a way that I don't think it necessarily would with Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Shea is a solid pull-up jump shooter, but Kyrie is 8% better in effective field goal percentage on pull-up jump shots because he's a bit better from two, but he's much, much better on pull-up three-point shots, which obviously brings a ton of efficiency. It's actually become one of Kyrie's go-to shots of late, especially in uh, in clutch situations. And so, you know, in Shea Gilgis-Alexander, he's making five shots a game in the restricted area. So, like, 
he is very reliant on spacing and those pick and pop bigs like Mike Muscala and Shea, uh, and uh, Alexi Pokashevsky that play for OKC. Those are vitally important to opening up the paint for Shea to get where he needs to go on the floor. Kyrie and uh, and uh, uh, Kevin Durant in their ability to consistently shoot over the top allows them to play non-shooters in the in the front court. So to, as I'm zooming out, Shea's a little better player in terms of overall impact on a winning team. I mean, we're talking about the second best player on the second best team in the league. Uh, I, I think he pretty clearly is uh, is good enough to be that second-team All-NBA guard. 26-5-5 and five on 61% true shooting. I also think he's having a much better defensive season than, say, Job Morant. Um, and again, like I said, uniquely makes the Nets roster more functional. So I've got Kyrie Irving as the second-team second guard. All right, first forward on the second team, Jason Tatum. I talked to you guys earlier about why I had Giannis over him, so I won't go any further into that. 31-8-4 this year on 61% true shooting. Still an outstanding defender, but he has had some bad games. Like I, like that Denver game was a really annoying one for me because it was another opportunity for the Celtics to send a message. And Jason Tatum just mailed that game in defensively, especially in his off-ball possessions. Jokic caught him sleeping a bunch of times. I was kind of disappointed in him there. Um, that said, still a bona fide MVP candidate. Just Giannis and KD are better right now. And uh, I think they deserve those two spots. Second forward on the second team, LeBron James. So Anthony Davis went down on December 16th. And since then, LeBron has been playing arguably like the best player in the world. It's either him or Jokic. Over the course of the last month or so, LeBron and Jokic have been a step above everyone else in the league. Uh, Since Anthony Davis went down, LeBron's averaging 34 points per game, 8 rebounds, 7 assists, 57% from the field, 64% true shooting. And the Lakers managed somehow over that span to go eight and five, despite severe personnel limitations. They do not have a backup center that they trust that they can play. They do not have any perimeter size or shooting. It's basically LeBron, Thomas Bryant, and a bunch of guards, and they are winning games. Now, they're getting contributions. Dennis Schroeder's playing really well. Thomas Bryant's playing really well. Russell Westbrook is having his second significant good stretch of basketball uh, uh, in this season, all those guys are playing well, but LeBron is the guy who functionally makes it work. On the defensive end of the floor, he makes up for so many size-related issues because of his ability to guard, conte- uh, grab contested rebounds. Again, I encourage you. One of my favorite LeBron things that you guys have to start paying attention to when he's playing that a lot of people miss is the contested rebounds. Watch a three. Ball goes high in the air. There's two centers down there jumping. And here comes LeBron towering over everybody to tap the ball to Dennis Schroeder or something along those lines. Watch LeBron in contested rebound situations. That is how he, as basically a wing, can functionally replace a good percentage of front court athleticism and size in those defensive rebounding situations. He's also been playing really good help defense over the course of this recent stretch. LeBron, it's, it's, it's truly bizarre how reliably great he's been on a night in night out basis in his 20th season. I did have a little bit of a run-in with uh, Cuffs the Legend, LeBron's friend on Twitter on uh, Saturday night. He got after me because I was critical of LeBron earlier in the season. And I have to say this every year to LeBron fans because they can't handle it. To make it simple, I am a big LeBron fan. He's my favorite player. He's the reason why I got into the league. The reason why I got into basketball. I was raised on football and baseball. And watching LeBron got me to fall in love with this game, which in turn has paid for my schooling and become my career. I owe everything to LeBron getting me to fall in love with basketball. 
so yes, I have a, a great deal of attachment there. That's why I decided to cover the Lakers when I got into this industry. It's why we talk about a lot of Lakers on the show. I'm a fan of LeBron, but I at least try, even though I do have my biases, I at least try my best to be as objective as possible. So I'm not going to analyze based on what I feel about a player in the grand scheme of things. I'm going to analyze based on the way they're playing in the actual basketball games that are actually taking place. So early in the season, LeBron wasn't good. Not compared to his standard. He's been much better as of late. So how has this show looked when I've talked about LeBron? What was it like early in the season when he was struggling? I'd point out that he was struggling. I'd also point out he's sick. He's dealing with the foot injury. I would point those things out, but I'd also say he's just not playing well. Now what's happening? He's healthy. What did I tell you guys early in the season? I'm like, if he can get his rhythm, if he can play 15 games in a row and not get hurt, I believe his legs will get underneath him and he'll take off. That's exactly what happened. So even when he was struggling, I predicted that he would get better. I just was pointing out the simple fact that he was struggling. And I will continue to do that with every single player. You guys know Russell Westbrook is probably my least favorite player in the entire NBA. And, and rooting for a LeBron James team is extremely frustrating with Russell Westbrook on the roster. What have I done when Russ has played well this year? I've pointed it out. Because it's just true. I'm a ba- I, I, At the core, I love basketball. And, and when I see Russ do good basketball things that lead to a team that I root for to win games, of course I'm going to acknowledge that. And so I always think that's funny. And it, it and I get it. It's LeBron's friend. He's got to come to his defense. But like, if you were a Lakers fan and you were critical of LeBron early in the season, you were right. You weren't wrong. You weren't being, you weren't being dishonest. You weren't hating. You were simply pointing out what was happening on the basketball court. Um, on the season, LeBron, 29-8-7 on 59% true shooting. Since the groin injury, which is now a 21-game sample size, so over a fourth of the season, LeBron is averaging 31-8-7 on 62% true shooting. Just unbelievably ridiculous stuff. And for the season, they're right around 500 when he plays, despite AD missing a ton of games and all the general roster issues, which we've talked to death on this show um, I think he's a clear-cut second-team forward, and as of this exact moment in time, he's playing like a top-three player in the world. Center for the second team, Joel Embiid, 34-10-5, career-high 64% true shooting. We talked about Giannis and his shooting outside the restricted area earlier. Check this out. Joel Embiid is 173 for 397 outside of the restricted area this season. That's 44%. Now, we've talked a lot about how important that is, as it pertains to his playoff success. Joel Embiid is not a great passer. So as teams pack the paint on him, in his, especially his face-up isos in terms of backside help, it's more important than ever for him to be able to knock down those perimeter jump shots, especially when he gets into the postseason. And this is his best perimeter shooting season. And I'm really curious to see if that translates. So I'm very excited for this playoff run for Joel Embiid because if he shoots this well from the perimeter, they are going to be extremely difficult to beat. Like, they are going to be every bit as talented and have a legit chance to beat Milwaukee, Boston, Miami, Cleveland, Brooklyn, anybody. Philly's got a chance if Joel Embiid's going to shoot that well. He's been the fourth best isolation player in the league this year to run at least 100 possessions at 1.16 points per possession. He's been the third best post player in the league to run at least 100 post-ups at 1.18 points per possession. And he's been the fifth best role man in the league to run at least 100 Roll man possessions at 1.15 points 
per possession. And then on the other end of the floor, he's completely anchoring the fourth best defense in the league. And if you really look close, they're playing Matisse Thibel a little bit more frequently now. He's a very good defensive player. Tobias Harris is underrated. But there's a lot of minutes being played by, you know, Tyrese Maxey, who's having a better defensive season, but still is not very good. James Harden, better defensive season, still not very good. You know, Shake Milton's out. There's a lot of guys that are playing. Georges Neang's another one. There's a lot of guys that are bought leeway on the defensive end of the floor because of what Joel Embiid, uh, Joel Embiid does as a backline rim protector. He's our second team center. All right, third team. Guard, Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Best combination of rim scoring and pull-up shooting in the NBA. He is 10th in pull-up shooting percentage among players who take at least five pull-up jump shots per game uh, at 46%. He's also 12th in restricted area makes per game at 4.5. That is the most among all the guards in the league, including John Morant. So he's finishing at the rim more frequently in NBA games than John Morant is. That's how crazy he is as a downhill threat. The only players that are ahead of him uh, the 11 players that are ahead of him in restricted area makes are all centers. Guys who basically function as centers, like Aaron Gordon. We've talked about how he basically functionally runs the center in their offense on the, as like a dunker spot guy. And then the aliens, LeBron, Zion, and Giannis. Those are the only guys that are ahead of Shea Gilgis-Alexander at the guard position in rim finishing. For the season, 31-5-6 and six on 62% true shooting. He's a solid defensive player with good length to bother shooters. He's a little thin. That's his big weakness on defense right now. And for the season, the Thunder are basically even when he plays, and then they lose big time in all the minutes when he's off the floor. Definitely been one of the top six guards in the league this year. Second guard for the third team All-NBA. This was my third and final super tough call. It's either going to be Devin Booker or Ja Morant. And it will probably be Ja by the end of the season because Devin Booker is dealing with this groin injury. He's probably going to miss at least another few weeks, maybe even more. But... At this point in time, Ja has only played four more games, and I'd like to give Booker some love here because I don't think he's going to get the love at the end of the season. So at this point, halfway through the season, let's take some time to appreciate Devin Booker. He, I actually think he's been a better offensive engine. Uh, when you actually factor in, like I used to think the Suns had the most talented roster in the league after the Stars, but injuries have really piled up. Chris Paul has completely declined, and he's no longer the same player that he was in the playoffs before uh, the Dallas Mavericks series. Um, Cam Johnson, obviously huge loss in perimeter shooting at that forward position. Jay Crowder, obviously with the trade request has taken himself out of the lineup in totality. The team's roster has lost a good amount of talent through injuries and age with Chris Paul. And despite that, the Suns have a 122 offensive rating with Devin Booker on the floor and a 107 offensive rating when he's off the floor. That's the same type of split we were seeing with Steph Curry. That's the type of impact he has on that Suns offense. I also think he has more variety. I think Ja can get a little repetitive with his high ISO, high pick and roll attack. Devin Booker is a lot more versatile in the spots on the floor he can attack. He's a little more patient. I actually, Ja Morant is a more productive passer in the way that his downhill presence creates tons of opportunities and with his heliocentric style to rack up assists. But in terms of really high level reads, I think Devin Booker's pretty close to where John Morant is. And so I, I do think he gets uh, a, a nowhere near enough credit for what he does as a passer in this league. And then honestly, Devin Booker is just a much, much better defensive player right now. It will eventually, like I said, be Jaws' spot as we get towards the end of the season and games played becomes a bigger factor, but I want to show love to Booker here. 27-5-6 uh, and six for the season on 59% true shooting. 18-11 and 11 are the Suns 
when Devin Booker plays, just 2-10 and 10 when he does it. All right, first forward position on the third team, Jalen Brown. 27-7-3 on 59% true shooting. Very good pull-up shooting season. 46% on six attempts per game. That's eighth in the league among players who take at least five per game. To give you an idea, Jason Tatum is making just 32% of his pull-up jump shots. So Jalen Brown's literally 14% better on pull-up jump shots this year than Jason Tatum. He's also having an underrated playmaking season compared to what you'd expect from Jalen Brown. In 97 pick-and-rolls this year where Jalen Brown has passed out of it, the uh, Celtics have scored 98 points, which is uh, that overall is contributing to him in pick and roll to the tune of 1.1 points per possession, which is 16th in the league out of 126 players that have run at least 100 pick and roll. So better pick and roll passing has led to him being one of the best pick and roll ball handlers in the league. And he's still a very good defensive player. It's a similar type of season to Jason Tatum. Like when he's locked in, he's very good, but he's just having too many nights where he mails it in. That's been an issue with the Celtics and their arrogance all season. But he's the second best player on the best team in the league. Absolutely deserving of an all-NBA selection to this point. Sorry, I've been dealing with allergies the last like four or five days. It's driving me insane. I, I had a, Somebody somehow identified it in our Saturday morning video, but it's just been the sniffles and congestion nonstop, which has been so much fun with me trying to move my entire life again. All right, second forward on the third team, Zion Williamson, 26-7-5 on 65% true shooting, 8.2 restricted area makes per game, which is second in the league behind just Giannis. Having a very good passing season. Teams are really loading up in the paint when Zion's getting ready to ISO or post up. Um, and he's particularly doing a great job of finding three-point shooters in those sets. He's passed out of post-ups and ISOs 157 times this year for 162 points, which is very good, up over a point per possession. And he's made significant improvements as a defensive playmaker. Now he's got a long way to go on a possession-by-possession -possession basis in his ability to uphold a defensive scheme by being reliable and always in the right spot. However... He is starting to make more defensive plays, jumping into passing lanes, blocking shots at the rim or on the perimeter. Those are like impact momentum types of plays. They are valuable. It's more valuable to be consistent on a possession by possession basis. That's why he's still a below average defensive player in totality. But those improvements as a playmaker are a good start. And it goes to show you what he can be capable of when he mixes those two aspects together. The Pelicans are 17-2 when Zion plays, and they are 7 points per 100 possessions better when he plays than when he's off the floor. It will be fun to see Zion Williamson make an All-NBA team, which just needs to rest up this hamstring and get healthy. All right, center for third-team All-NBA, Bam Adebayo. Had a rough shooting night against Brooklyn last night. I think he was just 5 for 15 from the field. But he's having the best scoring season of his career. He's averaging a career-high 21.4 points per game on 59% true shooting. Shooting 45% in the short mid-range. That's from 10 to 16 feet. Those are those little shots. He's all, Like I said in our breakdown of the heat the other day, he's always trying to get to the middle of the floor regardless of which uh, block he's on or which elbow he's facing up from. But when he gets to the middle, he's so good shooting those fadeaway jump shots over both shoulders extremely accurately, 45%. And that's turned him into a scorer in a way that he's never been in his career. This is the most important development with Bam. 216 points on 212 post-ups and ISOs. So when you ask Bam in a set defense environment in the half court with no advantage to create his own shot for himself or for his teammates, he's getting over a point per possession. That's huge. And that's a vital contribution to an offense that desperately needs someone to uh, specifically provide that service. And then on the other end, he's still one of the better defensive anchors in the league because of his ability to protect the rim and help or pick and roll, and also his ability to switch out onto perimeter 
uh, guards and wings, which he's one of the best bigs in the league at that specific skill. Uh, the Heat, in general, for the season are six points better per 100 possessions offensively when he's on versus when he's off, and three points better defensively when he's on versus when he's off. So that's a nine-point swing in total value when Bam Adebayo is on versus when he's off, which is MVP-level stuff. I think he's clearly the best center in the league that's not named Joel Embiid or Nikola Jokic. So in summation, really quickly, first-team guards, Luka and Donovan Mitchell. First-team forwards, Kevin Durant, Giannis. First-team center, Nikola Jokic. Second-team guards, Steph Curry and Kyrie Irving. Second-team forwards, Jason Tatum and LeBron. Second-team center, Joel Embiid. Third-team guards, Shea Gilgis-Alexander and Devin Booker. uh, Third-team forwards, Jalen Brown and Zion Williamson. Third-team center, Bam Adebayo. These were the eight players that did not make my cut. So these were players that were in consideration that did not make the list. At the guard, Damian Lillard, John Morant, DeMar DeRozan, De'Aaron Fox. Forwards, Pascal Siakam, Laurie Markkinen, and Jimmy Butler. And then the center, it was a toss-up for me between AD and Bam, but AD's just missed too much time, and Bam's been too good. I do think AD's been better when he's been healthy, but AD has been the fourth-best center in the league this year in total contribution. All right, guys, that is all I have for today. We'll be back tomorrow with uh, the other awards, like MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, Rookie of the Year, Most Improved. Wednesday, we're going to be doing like a power ranking style tier of uh, contender tiers. Uh, Thursday, instant reaction to Net Celtics as of right now that that might get canceled because of Kevin Durant. I'll let you guys know. And then later in the week, we're going to be doing our five biggest burning questions of the second half of the season. As always, I appreciate your guys' support, and I will see you tomorrow. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.